0: Section two of the National Geographic Magazine, Volume Four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Miriam. The Evolution of Commerce: Annual Address by the President, Honorable Gardener G. Hubbard, Part Two. Colonies. The commerce of the great nations of the world has been principally with their colonies or dependencies and from this commerce they have derived their wealth. The mother country, in return for its real or nominal protection, and for its own aggrandizement, has restricted the commerce of her colonies. The European nations adopted four classes of restrictions. 1. Restricting the exportation of goods from the colony except to the mother country. 2. Restricting the importation of goods from foreign countries into the colonies. three restricting the exportation or importation of goods excepting in ships of the mother country. 4. Restricting the manufacture even of their own raw products by the colonies. So strong was this feeling in England that even Lord Chatham declared in Parliament, the British colonies of North America have no right to manufacture even a nail or a horseshoe. Most of these restrictions have been removed, though the result still remains. The Phoenicians, Carthaginians and greeks had colonies on the mediterranean the romans conquered and held as subjects nations and empires venice and genoa had colonies on the black and mediterranean seas spain and portugal held as dependencies all central america south america africa india and the islands of the pacific the dutch republic and france planted colonies in india and america england has colonies in every part of the world and on her dominion the sun never sets germany france portugal and russia appreciating the necessity of colonies for the extension of their commerce and for opening new markets for their manufactures are planting colonies france in cochin china germany on the eastern and western coasts of africa and the islands of the pacific portugal aroused to a new life is determined to hold her remaining possessions in africa russia is steadily adding to her dominions in asia and her railway from the caspian sea to Samarkand, has opened in Western, and a part of Central Asia, a market for her manufactures, and commerce hitherto supplied by Great Britain. United States The United States is the only nation that has become great without colonies, and without foreign commerce and shipping. Its vast extent of territory, where the East and West, the North and South, are separated more widely than the colonies of Tyre and Sidon, or of Carthage and Rome, from the mother countries. The great variety of climate, the fertile soil, its varied occupations and manufactures, and widely distributed population have created an enormous inland commerce and given that trade and wealth which other countries find in commerce and exchange with their colonies. Our population, wealth, internal commerce, exports and imports have increased at a more rapid rate than those of any other nation in a similar period. This is not due in any great degree to immigration, for our population has increased in no greater ratio since this immigration commenced than before, and experts believe that it would have been as large and more homogeneous without immigration. We had at one time a large foreign commerce, and our merchants were the first to establish direct trade with China and the East Indies. The stars and stripes were seen floating on every sea and flying in every harbor, and for years we were the second maritime nation of the world the commerce of the world passed from the wooden sailing ships to side-wheeled steamers to iron and then to steel propellers england was a worker in iron and machinery of every kind we were not then civil war came and hastened the day which was sure to come our shipping faded away faster than it had arisen while that of great britain increased as rapidly as ours decreased this was not owing to a decrease of our foreign trade for during the last twenty years our exports and imports have increased more than twice as rapidly as those of great britain eighty-six percent of these exports and imports are carried in british ships consigned to english houses which have been established in every large port in the world and the proceeds are usually remitted to the london banker fortunately our flag never disappeared from our inland waters and from our coasting trade for foreigners are excluded from the coasting trade even where the ports are fifteen thousand miles apart by water the substitution of steamers for sailing ships and of steel for wooden propellers which took place from ten to twenty years ago on the ocean is now growing rapidly upon our lakes where in eighteen eighty six there were but six steel propellers now there are sixty-eight and of two thousand two hundred and twenty five vessels on the northern lakes one thousand one hundred and fifty three are steamers nine hundred and two are sailing vessels the action of congress in providing for the construction and equipment of war vessels by competition has led our shipbuilders within the last eight years to establish shipyards and machine shops where the largest ships can be built and we are now building as large and fast vessels of war as england our shipbuilders claim that they can construct ships equal in carrying capacity speed and strength to those of great britain and at no greater cost though they cannot be run so cheaply because our sailors are better housed, fed, and paid than those of other nations. The day will surely come when commerce will make her last movement westward, when America, lying between Europe and Asia, with her boundless mineral and agricultural resources, her manufacturing facilities, and her extended seacoast, will be the foremost nation, and New York the commercial capital of the world. Nicaragua Canal from New York to San Francisco by land is about 3,000 miles. By water it is about 15,000 miles. Yet, notwithstanding the greater distance, freight is constantly sent by water. From San Francisco it is about the same distance by water to either New York or London. If a waterway could be opened across the isthmus of Panama from one ocean to the other, the distance from New York to San Francisco would be diminished more than one-half, and San Francisco would be over 2,000 miles nearer New York than London the first proposition for canals connecting the two oceans was made in fifteen fifty suggesting two routes by panama and nicaragua and explorations and surveys of both have been frequently made and various attempts have been made for their construction the success of the suez canal induced m de lesseps to undertake the connection of the two oceans by the construction of the panama canal believing that the tonnage passing through it would equal that of the suez canal this work has not been successful the canal remains unfinished with no prospects of completion several hundred miles north of panama is the lowest continental divide one hundred and forty eight feet above tidewater on the pacific slope of this divide is lake nicaragua connected by the river san juan to the atlantic up this river and through this lake some thirty years ago was one of the regular ways of intercommunication both for freight and passengers between new york and california the maritime canal company and the canal construction company organized by americans have obtained concessions from nicaragua and have made surveys for canal slack water and lake navigation from Greytown on the atlantic through lake nicaragua to brito on the pacific a distance of 170 miles a harbor has been opened at Greytown and considerable work performed on the canal the panama route has the great advantage of an open channel from ocean to ocean whereas the Nicaragua route requires several locks to cross the divide. But Brito is some six or seven hundred miles nearer California than Panama, a saving in distance that will compensate for the delay in locking. The opening of this canal will be the greatest benefit that could be conferred upon our commerce and shipping. Freights by water between New York and California are now so high that a large portion goes by railroad, the effect that this canal should produce will be evident if we consider the great difference in expense between land and water carriage. Rail rates between New York and Chicago are a trifle over six mills per ton per mile, while the ocean rates on grain to Liverpool in 1888 were about half a mill per ton per mile. And one mill per ton per mile, or three dollars per ton from New York to Liverpool, is said to be a fair rate, while the all-rail rate between New York and San Francisco averages from 40 to $80 per ton, according to the class to which the freight belongs. It takes from 7 to 10 days to go from New York to Liverpool, twice as long to go from New York to San Francisco by rail, 30 days by Panama, and 120 days by the all-water route around Cape Horn. The opening of this canal will therefore reduce the freight on goods between the east and west at least three-fourths and possibly more. It will give us a free, easy, and cheap communication by water between the eastern and western states. Our commerce will be built up, and the wealth and commerce of the Atlantic coast and the population of the states on the Pacific coast will be increased in a wonderful manner. The opening of this route will give a demand for large steamships, and when we have such ships, large shipyards and machine shops will spring up, and these alone are wanted to enable us to build and run ships on the Atlantic Ocean in competition with Great Britain then the prediction of mr cramp will be fulfilled that englishmen will be asking one another can we build ships as economically as they do in the united states modes of conveyance the earliest transportation of merchandise was by caravans the first caravan of which we have any certain account was that of the ishmaelites and moabites who while they were travelling from gilead with their camels bearing spices balm and myrrh to egypt bought Joseph of his brethren, and sold him as a slave to Potiphar. These caravans were formed of merchants, banded together for protection, under a guide and leader, sometimes numbering several hundred, with one thousand camels in a caravan. They travelled from seventeen to twenty miles a day, but only in the spring and autumn months. At night they stopped at caravansaries, where free lodging was furnished to men and beasts. In Turkestan and Arabia all trade and travel was by similar caravans, until the railroad was opened, across the desert by Merv, and the Oxus to Samrasend. Navigation was first by boat, and ages afterward by vessels. The earliest vessels of which we have any account were employed in carrying cattle down the Nile, and were propelled by sails and rowers. The vessels, at first small and with a few rowers, were slowly increased in size and number of rowers until 3, 4, and even 5 banks of oars one over the other were used. They were often from 150 to 175 feet long and from 18 to 26 feet in breadth, drawing from 10 to 12 feet of water and sometimes carrying 200 rowers and 700 men. All these ships were without decks, whether sailing on the Mediterranean or Atlantic. They sailed by day, putting into harbor at night. And never losing sight of land unless driven by stress of weather. At first they sailed only with the wind, but by slow degrees they learned to tack, and then decks were built over the stern and prow, leaving the midships exposed to the high seas. This class of vessels, sometimes with banks of oars, continued until the middle of the last century. In the early part of the fifteenth century smaller but stronger vessels of better material were built for the voyages of discovery undertaken by the Portuguese at this time also the mariner's compass was brought into general use having been introduced from arabia eighty years later it found its way to england two of the vessels of columbus were decked only at the prow and stern and the three were manned by one hundred and twenty men the armada of queen elizabeth was formed of merchant vessels fitted up as men of war and not until the time of charles i were there any regular ships of war in england or probably in other countries Commerce was usually carried on by companies, with rules regulating the quantity of goods to be exported, so that the market should not be overstocked and unremunerative prices obtained. Sometimes the merchant was owner of the vessel, who adventured with his cargo and sailed in his own ship. The ships were constructed with little reference to speed, sailing forty or fifty miles a day. The steam engine came into use near the middle of the eighteenth century in England, and two generations passed before it was used on vessels the first steamboat ran on the Hudson in 1807, in England in 1812. Then another generation passed before the ocean was crossed by the Sirius and Great Western in 1833. These ships sailed from seven to eight knots an hour. Ten years later iron ships were built. Then came the propeller, the invention of Ericsson, followed by vessels built of steel, and lastly the city of Paris and Majestic, Carrying fifteen hundred tons of freight and sailing five hundred knots a day or twenty knots an hour. Until the present century, all commerce between remote points was by water, excepting in the Roman Empire. After the downfall of Rome, there was neither commerce nor travel and no use for roads, the cost of transportation even for a short distance exceeding the value of the goods. The railroad was introduced about the same time into England and America and was rapidly extending into every country the steam engine on land and water has revolutionized the methods of transportation and created a new commerce the movement of goods in a year in all the through routes of the world did not then equal the movement on a single one of our trunk lines of railroad for the same period formerly it cost ten dollars to move a ton of freight one hundred miles now it can be moved thirteen hundred miles for the same sum the grain and corn from our western lands then not worth the transportation to the seacoast are now sold in london and our prairies yield to the western farmer greater profit than the grain lands of england yield to the farmer there the land commerce created by steam probably exceeds today the commerce carried on the water the cost of moving freight by railroads varies greatly in different parts of the united states and in different countries the highest cost west of the rocky mountains is two and a quarter times more than in some of our middle states the average freight receipts per ton per mile in this country is ninety two point two cents which is less than those of any other country although the belgians and russian rates are not much higher in england the rates are from fifty to seventy per cent higher than in america and in the other countries of europe higher than in england in england and america the railroads are operated by private companies in competition in france railroads are operated by private companies regulated by law the country being divided among different lines of road lines are constructed by private companies and run at rates fixed by the government in belgium and germany the principal roads are owned and operated by the government our system has yielded the best results to the people the commerce which in the olden times transported only twenty or twenty-five miles a day is now moved five hundred miles a day by water and eight hundred miles by land correspondence then carried no faster than freight is now borne by telegraph to the farthest ends of the world. All these changes have taken place within a single generation, for our fathers could not travel any faster than Alexander or Caesar. Steamships, railroads and telegraphs within that time have transformed all commercial transactions and the methods of commercial business. Formerly eight months were required to execute an order in India or China and obtain the return. Now one day is sufficient. These commercial changes caused a revolution in the modes of business, and were the main factors which produced the monetary disturbances of 1873, the effects of which we yet feel, so long has it taken the world to adjust itself to its new relations. THE FUTURE OF COMMERCE The commerce of the world originated in Asia. It was carried to Africa and thence to Europe, and from Europe to America. This movement can go no farther westward for on the other side of the Pacific is China, which has successfully resisted every attempt of the European to encroach upon her domains, and India with its teeming population of 250 millions, so that America, the last of the continents to be inhabited, now receives the wealth of India and Asia pouring into it from the West, and the manufacturers and population of Europe from the East. Here the East and West, different from each other in mental power and civilization, will meet, each alone incomplete each essential to the fullest and most symmetrical development of the other. Here will be the great banking and commercial houses of the world, the center of business, wealth, and population. The end is not yet. Inventions are increasing in geometric rather than arithmetic progression. The limit of steam power has not been reached, for with a high temperature in the steam boiler, the addition of a few pounds of coal increases the steam power so greatly that we are unable either to control or to use it electricity has just begun to offer new opportunities to commerce we are no longer compelled to carry factories to the water power for by the electric wire the power may be brought to the house of the operative and we may again see the private workmen supersede the factory operative a few cars and small vessels are moved by electricity the forerunner of greater things we know little of this new agency but its future growth must be more rapid and more wonderful than that of steam the secretary of the Smithsonian Institution, Mr. Langley, tells us that, before the incoming of the twentieth century, aerial navigation will be an established fact. The deeper the insight we obtain into the mysterious workings of nature's forces, says Siemens, the more we are convinced that we are still standing in the vestibule of science, that an unexplored world still lies before us, and however much we may discover, we know not whether mankind will ever arrive at a full knowledge of nature. End of section 2